Well, I prayed a lot about what I should bring to you today, and uh, Dave said we can go right through to uh, to um, to twelve o'clock or one o'clock. But anyway, I'll try not to do that. <laughs> but that's not good when I'm lying right at the start, you know. <laughs> but you see, the title of the message this morning is a heart of thankfulness, and they're going to get it up on the screen. And sometimes we. Uh, we'll, I'll look around to see whether we're in tune or you're following through with the PowerPoint. But a heart of thankfulness. And uh, God loves a heart of thankfulness. And sometimes it's hard to be thankful. But as I listen to the worship and the praise this morning, from you all, I'm thinking I'm bringing snow to Eskimos. I'm bringing colds to Newcastle. You people, I perceive that you people know how to give thanks. You know how to worship. Yeah. And I also perceive, though, because I've known some of you, and my wife knows a lot of you here, uh, that uh, you're probably very much like everyone else as well. And it's not like that all the time. And it's great to come together on a Sunday morning and just join our hearts together to give worship and praise to God. Isn't it great to do that? Set your feet on a course for the rest of the week, but it doesn't mean that the trials don't come during the week. It doesn't mean that you don't lose your thankfulness during the week. And so I want to bring your attention to that today from the, uh, from the book of Philippians. And if you've got your Bible or your iPads or whatever it is, just open up the book of Philippians. And as you're getting there, let me just introduce it a little bit. God loves people with a heart of thankfulness. And sometimes we're not always like that. Is that true? That's true. And, you know, we can go back to the Old Testament to have a look at just God's people of old. And they were a very unthankful people. Remember, God took the children of Israel out of Egypt with incredible miracles. He did miracles that we still talk about today. And here he, he brought the people out. He raised up Moses. He says, Moses, you lead them, and you bring the people out. He did that with the mighty miracles, and he led them through the wilderness, and they could have been in the promised land in three months. But because they were an unthankful people, they were a grumbling people, they were a moaning people, it took them 40 years to get there, and then they all died in, in, in the wilderness. And it's only those that were uh, 20 years and old coming out of um, Egypt that actually made it to the promised land. And God was taking them, or Moses was leading them, God was through Moses leading them to a land that they didn't have to buy. He was leading them to, to houses they didn't even have to build. He was leading them to a banquet table to feed that they didn't even have to plant the crops to fill their table. They had it made. And you see, and yet, they lost sight of the future. They lost sight of all that God had promised them, and they started focusing on the present of what, who's around them, the conditions that they had, the things they didn't have, and they lost their joy. They lost their thankfulness, and so therefore they lost the blessings of the Lord. And so Paul, he's talking to the people in Philippi here about just being thankful, and he's expressing that too with his own heart of thankfulness. Uh, to the people. And God loves us to be thankful. We've had in the Psalms this morning, and we read in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 14, he says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. If there's something that God wants his people to do is to have a heart of thanksgiving. We can go to uh, Psalm 100, and it says in verse 4 there, that it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And you can go right through the Psalms, and you can go right through the Bible, you go through the New Testament, and somehow if you're reading it carefully, you will see you'll, this overriding theme will come through that God loves his people to be thankful and to have overflowing hearts of thankfulness. And we can forget that, can't we? We can let the circumstances of the present day crowd out our joy and our thankfulness, and we can start even being like God's people of old and start to grumble. And when that happens, we lose our thankfulness. We lose the blessings that God has for us within the community of God's people that he brings to us through each other. And so here, Paul, no matter what his circumstances were like, Paul seemed to have this incredible heart of thankfulness. He never stopped being thankful for God's people, for the things that he didn't have and the things that he did have. Always overflowing from him was this joy, this thankfulness, and you wonder, how could he do that? And he had this this inexpressible or irrepressible joy and thankfulness. And, and, and he did that because he had a deep love for God, he had a deep love for God's people, and he had a deep love for, God, for God's Word to bring to the people. And so this morning, as we unfold the verses in front of us, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, there's four uh, reasons as to why Paul had a thankful heart, and we're going to unfold those. And as we read through, you might be able to try and pick them out. I always do that. When I, if I know what the speaker's speaking about and we're reading the text, then I'll try and guess what they are. And most times I get it wrong. But anyway, it's a good exercise to do. But here we go. And we're going to start reading, though, from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what it says. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints... In Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi. So here it says to all the saints, and so that's now to us. That's now to you and I. We're included in this. You're a saint, then then this word is from God from for you today. If you're not a saint, well, we've already heard how you can become a saint, trust in Jesus. Okay. And so it's to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in COC here in Hastings including the overseers and deacons. And I don't know why they put that in, because I'm sure that the overseers and deacons were also saints, but, you know, just in case you thought they weren't, it's included here, right? And so it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is grace and peace to all of us. And he's now writing a letter whereby we experience the grace and the peace from God when we put into practice the things that Paul is talking about and the concepts that he gives. That's how God gives us his grace and peace. And this is what he says in verse 3. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your fellowship or participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Then he says, For it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. 
Well, wonderful, rich section of Scripture we've got here. And there's four reasons why Paul had a thankful heart or four expressions of his thankful heart that we're going to look at. And here's the first one. And we hit it up. Remember the good in others. Paul always saw the good in others. Look at verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, this is a pretty simple statement, but let's unfold it a little. Paul is saying, in case you missed it, that in all my remembrance of you, whenever I think about the Philippine believers, whenever I think about you, I thank my God for you. His heart is overflowing with thanks to God for the people. He only had good memories of the people. That's what he thanked God for. He's saying, I am thanking my God constantly in every remembrance of you. And we thought, wow, that is absolutely incredible. We would think perhaps that Paul must have had a wonderful group of people in the Philippi church to work with. Every remembrance of the people, he thanked God, and there were good memories. He must have had a a little bit different group of people to what fills most churches today because, you see, you know, every... Now, just cast your mind around a little bit. Every time you think of somebody else in the church or another church or whatever it is, do you thank God or you think, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I'm not going to that church. See, Paul is saying, so there must have been, we're thinking it might have been a perfect church. There must have been better Christians somehow. Because you see, even as I reflect on my own heart, do I have good memories and I thank God constantly and all my memories of people? Well, I'm not even going to answer that. (laughs) You see, as we survey and, and look at the church, we see injustices. We see a lack of love. We see unfriendliness. We experience the people that might have a bit of a a, a tiff with us, and they walk right past us. And we think, oh, well, blow you. You see, something, when it doesn't go our way, we we can get the pricker, so to speak, and, and, and you think, blow that. I know people that even leave the church because somebody didn't speak to them. I I know people that get really upset and they characterize the whole church at times because of the fact that they've had upsetness with one person. Well, you see, was the Philippi church any different? Paul says, in all my remembrance of you, I thank God. Wow. And so we say, really, was it a perfect church? And we want to say, no, it wasn't. Because look, in chapter 2 and verses 2 to 4, Paul is saying, make my joy complete. Well, hang on, Paul. Make my joy away. He's been of the same mind and, and maintaining the same love and united in spirit and chanting on one purpose. Well, perhaps the people weren't of the same mind. Perhaps they never had one purpose and they were all divided and all over the place. Perhaps there wasn't the unity that there should have been there in that church. And when we look at verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. So perhaps in that church there was people that were being selfish. They were looking after their own interests before they were looking at others. Yet Paul could say, and all my remembrance of you, I, I thank God. I thought, how do you get there, Paul? And so perhaps, see, and when we go to chapter 4 and verse 2, then this blows my mind. 
here's two ladies. He says, Iodi and Syndicate, I urge you to live in harmony. You see, their argument was so great that Paul had heard about it even in prison back in Rome. And now he writes, and you can imagine Pastor Dave getting up in here and reading this. Now, I just wanted to bring to your attention there's two ladies over wherever they are. They're arguing away, and you're dividing the church. You've got to cut it out. You see, that's pretty in your face. Is, was this church perfect? No. In fact, Paul could say, in all my remembrance, how on earth does that happen? You see, he understands that there's no perfect church. He understands that there's certainly no people, perfect people living. Once they die, if they're saints, they get to heaven. They're not perfect. They're like Christ. But you see, he understands they're in a journey. And you see, it's as if he's had this panoramic view of the church. And while there's a lot of issues and problems within the church, he still, this panoramic view, carries them through so he can say, thank God, because you see, why could he thank God? It's because of the fact that he saw the work that God was doing in them. He didn't look at the people for his joy. He didn't look at the people to, to lift his heart and thanks to God in that sense. He looked at what God was doing in their life, and he says, I thank God. Isn't that, that's just absolutely incredible. You see, the isolated events that happen in church that take away our joy and thankfulness shouldn't be. It should be that the overarching view of the church and what God is doing should spoil those individual events and experiences we have. Don't let those things color your view of the church and what God's doing in that person's life. And you see, and so our whole remembrance of the people should be, should be great, not the individual events. It's like this, and let me explain. I'm a granddad six times over, and I'm told that there's going to be no more. Um, but anyway, six times over. And we've watched our little grandchildren grow from the cradle to the crawling stage. And then they get up and walk. And now I just wish they'd go back to the crawling stage again But sometimes. But, but you know, they're all running around and they're great. But you see, we watched them take their first steps. And many of you, all of you will have watched your children or your grandchildren take their first step. And the little Johnny, he gets up, he's crawling away, and you're so pleased and then one day he climbs up on the chair, and he's hanging onto the chair, and then he takes his first step. Oh, you're excited. And he drags his other foot forward. Yeah, he's taken one full step, but then he falls down on his little butt again, and, and, and he carries on crawling. Never once in all my years, and there's a few of them, never once have ever heard anybody, any parent, any grandparent, any friend, or any auntie or uncle say, Ah, oh, you stupid little twitty, sat down again. Get up and walk. <laughs> Nobody abuses a child. You see, they understand. Why do they understand? Because that's the first step on the journey. Because they know that in a coming day, he's going to be walking. He's going to be running. And it takes the first step, and it takes a few falls, and it takes a few trips to get there, and you only encourage them all the way. Beloved, friends, Christian friends, when it comes to God's people, and this is the view I think that Paul had, he could see the future. There's the Commonwealth Games this kid's going to run in. You know, we, you and I are running a race today for God and for His glory that's going to end in eternity where we're going to be like Christ in the coming day. And in the meantime, we're going to fall. We're going to trip. We're going to fall over. 
And we don't want the discouragement of people. We want the encouragement. We are going to trip. We are going to fall. And God wants us to, and so he could see that. He could see that this was necessary. Paul could, and so he could say, I give thanks to God for the people. Don't let the little incidents or the isolated events ruin your joy whereby it stops you thanking God for people. Paul says in Philippians 4 and 8, he wants us to be obedient to the Word. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and of anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. And there's some of that in all of us. If Christ is in your life by His Spirit and you're living in the power of the Spirit of God, then there will be those things in your life whereby somebody can give praise for. That's what we look for, not the faults, not the trips. And when we do see them, we pick them up. You pick little Johnny up and say, hey, Johnny, there's a greater race to run. Keep running. Don't give up. Oh, God wants us to be like that. He wants us to be a thankful people. And so that's one of the keys that Paul had to developing a thankful heart. He had that eternal perspective. He understood the falls. And so therefore, he, 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 he praised God continually. And if we're going to put feet on that, beloved, if we're going to put, if we're going to, 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 to put that into practice, then as you go from here today, and even as you sit in your seat and you say, well, how can I do this? Is there somebody that I haven't been thankful for? Is there somebody that has tripped? They need picking up and walking again. Then you know what? I'm going to start thanking people. I'm going to write to people this week. In my prayers, I'm going to actually pray for people specifically and thank God for them. The people that I've had trouble with, I'm going to start thanking God for them. And you know what? It's amazing how the blessings will flow into your life as you do and you develop a, a, a thankful heart. Heart. Here's the second thing that Paul had, was practicing. He says, I petition or petition God for others. Petition God, verse 4. He says, always, he says, thanks God, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. Or in other words, he's saying, really, always offering petition in my every petition for you. See, the idea here is rather than just general prayers, we might understand it, but Paul is praying specifically petitioning God for others. Now, this is key. This is something that every Christian should be doing, is petitioning God for others. Because you see, it's what Paul did. He's setting the example, and we all need prayer to continue in the Christian life and to keep running strong. We need that. We need the prayer of others. But not only that, it's what the Spirit of God does too. You see, when a person is controlled by the Spirit of God and lives in obedience to the Word of God, see, when you're like that, then you will be petitioning God on behalf of others because that's what the Spirit of God does in you. We understand that. Romans 8 teaches us that, that the Spirit of God, we've got groaning. We don't even know what to pray at times. And it says that the Spirit of God then takes our groanings and He groans on our behalf. He interprets our groanings before the throne of grace. That's what God does. That's what the Spirit of God does. And if you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, then you will be petitioning God for others because you're in tune with the Spirit. You want to walk with the Spirit? Then, 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 then start petitioning or continue to petition God on behalf of others. That's what Paul did. That's what the Spirit of God does continually. The Spirit of God in us pleads 
on our behalf to God. And that's our privilege, it's our responsibility, and that's our joy. And it's what every fellow brother and sister in Christ needs from you and from me, even as you need it from others. See, to ask God's blessing on others and to petition God on behalf of others is, a, is the product and activity of a thankful heart. Not only that, but you see, it's a secular thing. It actually keeps your heart thankful. You see, it's self-feeding. You stop being thankful, and then, and then you see, failure comes. The blessing comes. You become even like a disgruntled person. And Paul, he had such a heart. You see, Paul, when he's writing this letter, where is he? He's in prison. And he's praying for the Philippian believers that they would be thankful. Paul is thankful. He's in prison. And he's picturing the Philippi believers. They're out with freedom to move. They're out down at the coffee club having coffee. And here he's locked up in prison saying, oh, Lord, bless those people. I thank God for those people. He's not in any way jealous. He hasn't got to focus on self. He's got to focus on the joy on others and what God is doing in the other person's life. Because you see, while he's having coffee down at the coffee club or wherever it might be, or she might be doing that, you see, he's praying, Lord, let them fellowship together. Let them encourage one another because that's a good work to do. You see, so he's got a thankful heart. And even in chapter 1, uh, further on, here a report comes in that people were trying to do him harm by preaching the gospel and discounting him. And Paul says, you know what? I don't care. I really don't care as long as they preach the gospel. And he says, um, as long as they preach the gospel, uh, he says, yes, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. See, he kept a, a, a thankful heart. And so he asked this morning, Ask yourself, is your heart thankful? I ask myself, is my heart thankful? In spite of all the trials and the disappointments of other people around me, and, and whatever it might be, is my heart thankful? Am I rejoicing in the Lord? Well, we've had so much this morning already of what we can rejoice in the Lord for. We have Christ. We're the Spirit of God. We've got an eternal future. You know what? You and I, those in Christ, we've got a home that we didn't have to buy. It's prepared for us. We've got a, a land that's eternal. It's a heavenly one. We're going to have a banquet table that's set before us that you and I didn't lift the finger to, 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 to prepare. We've got a better future than the children of Israel. We get so tied up with the present that we forget about the future. And God wants us to think about the future because then you don't notice. You don't notice the failures. Expect the failures as we progress on. Don't get focused on the things you don't have. Focus on the things you do have and give thanks and praise to God. So Paul, he saw the good in others and he thanked God continually. He made petitions for others continually. And both those practices marked him as having a thankful heart. Then it says in verse 5, enjoy the fellowship with others. This is what he did. He enjoyed the fellowship with others. And we're going to have to rush here. And fellowship really means to participate uh, in something with someone. 
Fellowship is actively sharing and ministering in another's life. And now today I know we use the word fellowship rather loosely, and it can be used like that for sitting down, having coffee or whatever it might be, just hanging out together or whatever it might be. That's the fellowship that we can have. But here, the biblical view is a lot stronger than that. It's talking about fellowship in a ministry way. And if we read through Philippians, we would find that Paul is unbelievably thankful to the people because they fellowship with him in the gospel. And also in chapter 2, he says, if you have fellowship in the Spirit. So these people are united. They're fellowshipping together. And you see, and this caused him to have a thankful heart for the people. And I'm going to cut this one short. But because at this point here, short, because I want to really make the point clear. Beloved, are you got a thankful heart. Are you sharing in somebody else's ministry? See, Paul shared in their ministry. He fellowshiped with them in bringing the gospel to them. And that was evidence because, you see, their lives changed. Their lives changed absolutely massively uh, the, to, to worship a living God. And you see, you know that, that, that when you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, your life changed. I know my life changed. When I embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, my life changed. I became, from a rank sinner, I became a saint. You see, I became, from somebody that was self-serving and looking after personal interest, I came to want to serve. I came from someone who never really thought a lot about God to somebody who loves Christ. You see, change, that's fellowship with the gospel. When the, somebody preaches the gospel, Pastor David, whoever might be, preaches the gospel, he's fellowshipping with you. Are you going to receive that? Are you going to embrace Jesus Christ? Are you going to ex- invite him and accept him as your Savior and Lord? You see, there's the first step of fellowship. But then you see there's this fellowship that the saints had in Philippi back with Paul. They supported him. And at times, they were the only church that supported him in the the fellowship. And he's thanking God. Folk, if you're not thanking people, then check out who you're fellowshipping with in a real way. And if you're struggling in life, who's fellowshipping with you? Who comes to ask you, hey, how are you doing in your ministry? Hey, hey, what's it going on in your family? And every mum's got a ministry here. They've got her own children even. And they need help. They need prayer. They need the fellowship of one another to grow the family up, as dads do as well. You see, there's this intimate fellowship, and I want to encourage you this morning here, is that there's certainly, um, uh, there's certainly ways in which we can fellowship here uh, and, and, and even in this church, because as a brief look at this church, I would suspect you've got deacons here. They serve you continually. You've got, I don't see any children here right now. They're probably all out of Sunday school. Well, you've got people out there serving you and your children. You see, so when did you last write a letter? When did you ring them up and say, just praise God, you just say thank you for what you're doing? And your, your deacons probably send money to missionaries and to oversee whatever it is. On your behalf, they're fellowshipping with people so the gospel goes around the world. You see, that's fellowship. There's a lot to be thankful for people. And so sometimes we forget it. We don't see it. We get used to it. We take it for granted. But Paul didn't. And he's thanking the people. Imagine the people getting this letter um, and, and just thinking how encouraging it would have been. In spite of all the corrections he's making, 
See, you know what? Paul continually thanks God for us. What huge encouragement it was to them in spite of the issues that were going on that weren't totally kosher and the interpersonal relationships that they were having. See, he thanked God. Here's the fourth, confidence in God concerning others. Look at verse 6. Here's the fourth mark that marked Paul with a thankful heart or the reason why, too, he had a thankful heart. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. This verse must be one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. It sort of picks up on some of the things that we've already talked about. But you see, no matter what the church looks like, no matter if you believe that things could be a lot better, no matter if you think that the music team could be just a little bit better if they had you on the drums, no, no matter even the coffee would be better if they sort of got that guy off that coffee machine and put me on it, I know how to make coffee. You see, no matter what it is, you see, it, it's... it's Paul has, was absolutely persuaded, he was absolutely sure that concerning the work that God had begun in them, he was going to bring it to completion right to the day of eternity. When Jesus comes again, everything's going to be perfect. And in the meantime, on the road there, there's going to be trips, there's going to be falls, there's going to be people that crawl that should be walking. I walked literally when I was nine months old. Some kids don't walk till they're 18 months old. Nobody complains. They don't take the kid to the doctor and say, what's the matter with this kid? You see, he's just growing. And I was a plague to my mother because I walked too early. I came in on behind this other kid that was a bit older than me. And she had only just started walking. And so she had all of a sudden in the same week, two kids walking. It was too much. Well, God understands that in the church fellowship too, you know. He has some that are walking and some that are crawling. And some that haven't even started, but they're wanting that encouragement, and he bides the time so that the church family can handle it, and everything grows smooth. I love the church family concept because God uses that because his family is the same. He was persuaded that God will bring it to completion. We've sung a song this morning, who can stop the Lord God Almighty? Who can stop him? Nothing will stop him. He will bring his work to completion. If you've been saved, if, you've been indwe- if you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, nothing will stop God doing his work in you right till the day when he comes again. Isn't that fantastic? And on the way, you're going to trip, you're going to fall. And that's why he is the family of God's people, whereby we can pick each other up. Not to criticize, not to knock down, not to stand on them again. See, look at that, you did that last week. But to pick them up and say, how can I help? How can I encourage you? You know what, if you do your shoelaces up, it might just help you keep tripping over them. You know, you have helpful advice for the person. They might not understand why they're tripping. You know, don't walk past the pub all the time because every time you do, you go in it, you're tempted. Just go another way. You know, say helpful advice like that and just helping people rather than just wiping your hands off them and saying they're hopeless. See, God doesn't have losers in his family. Every one of his family are winners. And he's coming again. 
and he's going to make us perfect. And you see, because why? Why do I know? Because you see, God started the work. You have a, in chapter 1 and verse 29 of Philippians, it says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him also. Now, the suffering is a whole different message in another aspect. But here the point I want to make is for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. God has granted by his spirit you to believe in him. It's God's work. You didn't do it on your own. God did that in you. His Spirit drew you. You came to Him in faith. You confessed your sin. You granted it. And we can come to verse 13 of chapter 2, and it says, For it is God who works in you. I get the idea from just those two verses that it's God that works in you. It's God who's doing it. And for us to come along and criticize and not help somebody who's actually fallen over, then you're saying, I'm not helping you. God, you don't know what you're doing. And here God's vitally involved in this person's life. He wants you to come alongside and to help and to pick the person up. But sometimes we stand back and we don't help. And we criticize and say, that person's a loser. He's not. He's a winner. Because, you see, Christ dwells in him. Say, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, God started the work. He helps continue the work. And one day there is going to be glorification because he's going to come and finish the work. It's all of God. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that help you with a thankful heart? So that we rejoice, we come on a Sunday morning, and I suspect you've been thankful all week because I could tell by the praises that were sang this morning that here's a thankful people, a worshipful people who love Christ, who's had the Spirit of God working in their life all through the week. And you come, you can't come and sing and, and, and worship like that without God working in your life all week. I remember my old Bible class teacher many, many years ago. It was a lot of years ago. I was a teenager. And there was a few of us teenagers in the class. In fact, in our class, we had enough for a rugby team from our church. And we loved rugby. And we probably loved rugby more than what we even loved the Lord. But he was our Bible class teacher. And I remember he came, we were sitting one day, and we were acting the goat or doing something we shouldn't have been. And he's trying to teach us. And he stopped, and he just looked at us, and he shook his head. You know the look. Have you had it? It's a terrible look. <laughs> it gives you the sense of no hope. It really said, there's no hope for you guys. And, you know, I, I, I can understand that because as we were, there wasn't, there was no hope. I, 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 I understood that. Unbelievably discouraging it was. But anyway, years progressed. God got hold of me through my wife. She used to pray continually um, and, and for me. And I was really, I wasn't knowing where I was going. And she used to pray. And boy, that affected me. I'd see her on her knees at times and just praying for me. And I would sneak. She always kept a prayer book. And I would sneak in her just to see what she was praying at times. Oh, that would whack me. But God used her to bring me fully to himself. And years later, I met my Bible class teacher. I'd been to seminary at this stage. I'd been serving the Lord in various ministries and so on. I'd been to seminary and, and came back. And I met my Bible class teacher. He's old. And he comes up to me and he says, 
He embraces me and he says, Russell, I never, ever thought you could do it. And I said, hey, we agree on one thing. (laughs) I never believed I could do it and I never did it. God did it, you see. (laughs) It's amazing what God can do. When you surrender your life to Christ, don't ever underestimate the power of what God is doing. And that's why Paul was always thankful because, you see, he knew what God, the finished article. And when God starts something, he will finish it. He will have his way with that person all the way through. And so there's no perfection here in this world. There's failures, there's mistakes, but there's also incredible victory and joy as we change into the likeness of Christ. And so Paul, when he looked at the people, he just said, in all my remembrance of you, I thank God for you. Isn't that wonderful? And the encouragement this morning is that we might be a people uh, like that. Let me finish with God's words. In verse 3 and 4, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. May that be characteristic of the church here of Bay City Outreach. May the Lord bless you abundantly. Thank you.